Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, no matter where you live, from Alpharetta, to Atlanta, to Douglasville, to Conyers, here's what we know. The rent is high. and We'll hear how Invest Atlanta is helping to fund 600 new afford- affordable rental units in several Atlanta neighborhoods. Also, COVID-19 vaccines and the little ones. Atlanta-based pediatrician Dr. Andy Shane shares what the conversation's been like. Those conversations she's having with parents about the COVID vaccine for kids. While everything is a risk and a benefit, I can say unequivocally that the risk of having a natural infection in terms of long-term consequences far outweighs the theoretical risk of having a consequence from the vaccine. Now, all those conversations are coming up in a few moments. But first, this speaking of COVID-19 and vaccines, making his weekly Sunday morning news shows appearance, top White House official medical advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci says the Omicron variant of the coronavirus appears to be able to evade some of the protection people get from COVID-19 vaccines. But he told ABC's this week getting a booster can help. Preliminary data show that when you get a booster, for example, a third shot, of an mRNA, it raises the level of protection high enough that it then does do well against the Omicron, which is, again, another reason to encourage people who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated, but particularly those who are vaccinated to get boosted. Early indications show the variant likely spreads faster than the Delta strain of the coronavirus, which is still responsible for the majority of infections in the U.S. Now, Fauci went on to say it's still unclear if Omicron causes more severe disease. In other health care news, an important Obamacare insurance deadline is approaching. Georgians have just a few more days to sign up for Obamacare health coverage that starts in 2022. Open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act plans that take effect January 1st. It closes December 15th. That is Wednesday. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which oversees the ACA marketplace, says some 260,000 Georgians have already picked plans for next year. And in other news, many Georgians are likely to find cheaper plans this year, thanks to more generous subsidies included in the Biden administration's American Rescue Plan. So, yes, keep that in mind. Georgia high school students now will soon learn about personal finance as part of a required economics course, as our education reporter Martha Dalton tells us. Georgia students have to take an economics class to earn a diploma. The current course covers economic principles like supply and demand and financial markets. In recent years, some parents and educators have urged officials to include personal finance, too. They argued students need to learn skills like how to balance a budget, navigate tax forms, and fill out student loan applications. So a committee of policymakers, teachers, and financial experts submitted revisions to the current standards. The State Board of Education approved the changes last week, and now students will learn about broader economic factors and personal finance. The updated course standards will go into effect during the next school year. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And Georgia's U.S. Senate delegation is leading the push to rename Atlanta's VA hospital after Max Cleland. The former Georgia senator and veterans administrator died in November at the age of 79. Senators Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff announced the proposed naming of the veterans hospital last Friday, along with U.S. Representative Nakima Williams. Cleland was a U.S. Army captain in Vietnam when he lost his right arm and two legs while picking up a fallen grenade. Warnock called Cleland, quote, a true giant of public service a compassionate leader and passionate patriot with a big heart for our veterans and communities. While Ossoff said the naming would honor his service and sacrifice. And finally, don't give up on him yet. 
they're still alive in the playoff hunt. Second down at four. It's Patterson into the end zone for a Falcons touchdown. To the end zone, touchdown, Hayden Hurst. Don't give up, folks. Atlanta Falcons now 6-7. and seven. They still can do it. Can they do it? We'll see what happens. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR, and amplifying all the voices that you need to hear. I'm Rose Scott. How many times can we say it? Can I say it? Finding affordable housing in the Atlanta region is challenging. Current Atlanta Mayor Kishlands Bottoms won Atlanta affordable housing plan included creating, or as she called it, preserving 20,000 affordable homes by 2026. Now, as to whether or not this billion-dollar housing initiative will come will continue. That's unsure because now, of course, we have a new administration. But what is certain is this. Demand will increase. The question, what about supply? Invest Atlanta is helping to fund 600 new affordable rental units in several Atlanta neighborhoods. And if you're unfamiliar with what they're doing, well, just keep listening. Joining me now with more is Dr. Eloisa Klimenich. She's president and CEO of Invest Atlanta. It's been some time. Thank you, Eloisa, for joining me. It's been, what, a few years? Where you been? (laughs) It has been a few years. How are you? Doing all right. Listen, you know, listeners to this program, they know the first question that I always ask when we have a segment like this, and that is this. How do you define affordable housing, Eloisa? So it's interesting you ask. I believe that we really have to meet people where they are. And so to your exact question of how I define it, I really see that affordable housing is a spectrum. And so you have all the way to one side, you may have individuals that are homeless. Mm -hmm. And so how do you find something that's affordable for them? And so if you think about it in terms of partners, you have the continuum of care. I believe it's probably about zero, probably about zero to $10,000, perhaps of an income somewhere around that range. And then you have the next spot of affordable housing, which is what Atlanta Housing works with, which is that kind of 30% AMI to 60% AMI. So for our listeners, so it's about up to someone, some of one individual who earns about 36,000. And then the next set, I would say of affordable housing, and that's where Invest Atlanta plays. It really is up to 120% affordable, which was someone who earns about $72,000. So to your question, it really is meeting people where they are. And for them within that spectrum, I think about the new teacher who's earning forty two, forty five thousand, they need mm-hmm. an affordable housing to a homeless, to someone who's our barista or our dry cleaner. That is the need. And so there's a range of need, but it's meeting people where they are. And based on what you just said in that spectrum that you just sort of defined for our listeners, when we talk about then what's missing from the conversation, missing in terms of achieving actionable outcomes, what is that piece? That, that critical piece that through your lens you think is, is still missing if we want to achieve these actionable outcomes? I think one of the things that may be missing or I would say more of a challenge is what we've seen is that federal resources since 2010 have decreased over 50%. And so you have the need hasn't gone away. The resource from the federal government have gone away, which means that there needs to be a greater amount of resources put on from not only local governments, county governments and state governments, but also from the private sector. So that what what we're seeing now is the challenge because providing these affordable units has a cost. 
And so how do we maintain and find creative tools to be able to address the need at different types? Again, meeting people where they are. That's a great segue into my next question because I've had these conversations with organizations such as Westside Future Fund, Purpose Built Communities, uh, Star C, Quest Communities, and they all contend, and you just sort of hit on it, public-private partnerships are key to coming up with, I guess, not only just a viable solution, but sustainable too. So I want you to take that a little bit further when you talk about these public and private partnerships. If if those federal resources have been declining, as you just mentioned, then it will take public-private partnerships, no? Right, right. I think if, if what we've been trying to think about it at Investland is holistically, how do you look at each of the needs through the spectrum that I went through and then think of the type of person? And let me give you an example of what mm-hmm. I'm talking about when I say type. I mean, if you decide meeting people where they are, you want to be a renter, then what tools do we have to create more multifamily housing opportunities? Right. And so here we're looking at not only for the developer, but once the developers finishes, we want to ensure that we have the relationship with the apartment manager and the owner for the implementation. And so on that end, you'll see Invest Atlanta work very closely on uh, on an allocation of about ninety five million dollars is what we get our annual allocation to be able to provide developers so they can access these four percent low income housing tax credits. So these are tax credits. Just for your listeners, what it means is pretty much low financing. So Mm -hmm. it's cheaper financing that they can do to build the project than they can find in the market. And so this allows us to say, we'll help you with the financing. But in return, we're going to like to see some affordable housing. And I love to say we will trust and verify. We have a compliance department that will come in the back end and verify the units. So the first I say for renters, we got to think of the multifamily. And then to your point, and I'm so glad you mentioned this, Rose, is the long-term permanent affordable, because that is another challenge. When we talk about preserving these affordable housing units, I look at San Francisco, for Mm -hmm. example. They used to have a huge affordable housing program, Mm -hmm. but these terms we think are going to last 30, 40 years. And if we all remember, those 30, 40 years have went pretty fast. I'm now over 30. I'm barely 32 just kidding but in either case how do we ensure long-term affordability so that it's continually there so i'm really excited about the work with the um, atlanta land trust which Mm -hmm. will look at permanent affordable so it's it's really looking at our tools just like we do with the spectrum to find how we can help so that's the first group and then the second one is our homeowners what are you doing for our permanent homeowners so we're not only doing for our new homeowners which is a down payment assistance program because we want more home ownership it's important for equity that's the number one way that families of color build wealth it's through their homes so we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we have down payment assistance program The second is we've implemented an owner-occupied rehab thanks to the contribution for the city council and the mayor that will allow us to keep, think about seniors who are on fixed income and veterans and disabled. How do we keep them in their homes? So not only do we come in and repair their homes, but we've now, in addition to that, also have an anti-displacement fund that we're trying to set up citywide. So you've Mm -hmm. talked about the one on the west side and the one in the belt line, but how about the entire city? So we are looking to frame that proposal and have something Q1 of this year. So that is the the two type of really thinking through what incentives, what partnerships, how do we bring in some of our partners to create affordable housing for either type, meeting people where they are. And before we move on, I do want to just maybe pause and shift for a moment for folks who may not be familiar with Invest Atlanta. And you sort of gave a little bit of what you all do. You mentioned that $95 million. Now, does that come from the city? It comes from the state. That the is state. a state allocate volume. Uh, it's technically a volume cap annual allocation. The state provides it to the city and the city relies on Invest Atlanta to help deploy those tax credit uh, benefits. Now, I will say that Invest Atlanta is the economic development arm mm-hmm. for the city. What is great, I think, is we have a very close relationship. We have an MOU with the city. You can tap into all of our meetings. It's all open records, but we're not city and we're not our, we aren't city employees. So mm-hmm. this allows us the flexibility to work with the city. Uh, one of the ways you'll see us do that is we, and I've heard, I've heard your shows, Rose, where you talk about city-owned land. Mm-hmm. And so the question is 
how is the city going to develop that? And that so was my next question. You uh, you, you looking at my script? <laughs> <laughs> no. But how are the city going to use their city-owned land? How do we bring them up to a higher and a better use? And so there's a relationship where they will, the city will provide the, the land to invest Atlanta. We will then issue the RFP and find developers that then can come in and build the projects that we want to see that include either retail or multifamily, where, depending on where it is, uh, that, that really can address the needs of what the city are. And uh, we're actually going to be taking action on one of those such RFPs at this month's board meeting, which would be this Thursday. Let me ask you this. So that then. is one program. Let me ask you this. I want to get this in there because when you say you all are, are seeking those builders, are they mostly, because there are some nonprofit, you know, organizations that are, that are in this, this space, but are you mostly focusing on those like what Quest does and, and, and you know, purpose-built communities and all that? Or are you also looking at commercial or, or those who like, look, you know, we are in the business of making money. So or is it balanced? Who are these developers? Give me a snapshot. We will look at all developers because we would like to tap into all of them. Uh, because ideally we want to have mixed communities where everybody's working together and leveraging the opportunities to live in a community where you have different ideas and different uh, ways of living that provides the wealth and the beauty of living in such a dynamic city. So we open up these incentives and these opportunities to different types of developers. So we will use, for example, as one you've seen is the lease purchase bond in mm -hmm. some of our higher market cost areas. That is the one tool that we would be able to use. So they would say, if you're interested in this, in this tool, then you're going to have to provide at least 10% at 60% at 80% AMI or 15% at 60% AMI. And just 80% AMI is someone who earns about $48,000. So it really just, it's how do we leverage the opportunity? Developers are out there creating these structures, these multifamily, and we want affordable housing. Because Rose, one of the challenges or one of the opportunities are, is we know the average family in the Atlanta region probably spends about 70% of their income on housing and transportation. And that is absolutely so, just, you hear that figure, and I've heard that figure before. That is, is as some would say, just absolutely stunning. 70%. So if we could, if we could get, now, and then the other thing I would add on there is our job centers, if you think, are Buckhead, Midtown, and Emory. So it's not in the South side. So I, if I'm thinking about, I need more affordable housing in Buckhead. This way, you wouldn't need a car. You could potentially walk to work. Where are you going to put it? Uh, okay. I, <laughs> I know, but that's the challenge. How do I incentivize it? That from You're right. You're right. Unless there is some other mechanism, it's very difficult. But sometimes when folks areas. hear affordable housing... People kind of get outside their little box and they start asking questions about who will be the occupants. Who will, and you know, you know that you know where I'm going with this. Are you all up against also trying to change people's mindsets in terms of when you talk about affordable housing and all this inclusivity that you just talked about? Uh, for some folks, they worry about what well, does this affordable housing? How will it affect the the identity of our neighborhood or the history of our neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? You know where I'm going, right? I do. I do. And I will tell you, that's why I made sure to say it is $48,000 is someone at 80% AMI. An average incoming first year teacher is at 45000 Your barista, your dry cleaners. These are all, or, or just think about your children. You know how many calls I've received from families saying, my son, my daughter just graduated. They mm -hmm. have huge debt and they can't find a place to live in the city. But that the market, the profile but, but you're up against the market too. You're up against the, the market, right. which you cannot control, right? You can't control the market. I've tried and right? I know I can't. <laughs> you're right. We definitely have tried, Rose, but you are right. In all seriousness, we cannot control the market. So the point for us is how do we make it, how do we incentivize how do you provide value to developers so they realize that, yes, not only am I doing good, but let's be real, is the many of those developers are in it to make a return. How are you able to balance both? So do how good, do you convince them? How do you convince them they'll get a return? 
Well, I tell them that there is value to being able to say in some of your brand new developments that you are opening up your community to everyone. And when you start putting it into profiles, like we'll say, you know, we can't, we have to market to everyone, but wouldn't you like a teacher to be living in your unit? Wouldn't you like a brand new officer that yet hasn't done a lot of overtime would also qualify. These are new cadets that are coming out. Isn't that what you want to do? And usually when you talk to developers and you're targeting this type of profile, they're like, yes, we would love to help. I go, why don't we create some sort of partnership? And so this is the opportunity that we've been trying to look is really to your point, Rose, is, is ensure that people understand who we're talking about and mm -hmm. what type. And that's why you'll see us talk a lot about what we have been focused on in Vestland is this middle wage job someone that's earning between 40 and $80,000. That's, that's where we want to focus on, not only to help them find a job, but also to find the right house because they need both. Well, and speaking, both. And you're correct. And in speaking of trying to find the right house or the right rental unit, unit you all are financing the creation and of 600 new affordable housing units. And I think you also may be even upgrading or rehabbing some of these, but they're in a few neighborhoods. So I'm hearing People's Town, Old Fourth Ward, Vine City, Reynolds Town. Take our listeners through what this program is about here. Right. Well, I will tell you, I'm really excited. We have since 2018, we have been able to support at the creation of over 4,730 units of affordable housing throughout the city. And that really results in an investment of over 556. But if we look at the city of Atlanta in terms of just units this year, we're at about 2,170 total units. And then to your point, affordable are 1,746. So these 600 or these for the entire year of over 1,700 are for example, the barge that's in the Mal Malwood neighborhood, it's mm -hmm. 129 senior housing units at 60% area median income. Again, that's someone that's earning about $36,000. Mm -hmm. That's going to be exciting. So you see us a lot doing in seniors because what we don't want to do, if we want to meet people where they are, we want to keep the richness and the histories. We want to ensure we're protecting our seniors. So you'll see Investland do a lot of senior housing. Mm -hmm. uh, I can think of the villages at Castleberry Hill. This is another project where we're going to do 100 and well, working with the developers, we'll deliver 114 units again at that 60% AMI. Mm -hmm. That's someone at about $36,000. And, and then we've combined that with market rate units, 56 market. Then we're at like high, high tower manor, which is another 129 senior units mm -hmm. at 60% AMI. You're at Lindsay Street, 557 Lindsay Street. Again, this is another development that's really going to be exciting for seniors. And then obviously urban oasis. This is a, get, a project that's going to produce about 200 units of which 170 are at 60% AMI. So the idea is how do you bring about units mm -hmm. for not only our seniors, but for that spectrum where you're meeting people where they are. And that's what we're really focused on. That 600 number that I mentioned and that, you know, someone listening says that that's great. Obviously it's just a small amount considering the supply and the demand out there. Uh, I, before I, I do want to make sure we get to this because I think it's important. I mentioned Mayor Bottoms and that that one billion affordable housing, twenty thousand units, affordable units online by twenty twenty six, and I know that you all were a part of that. But is that still reasonable? You think can the city reach that, or is that that number even needs to be higher? That twenty thousand affordable homes by twenty twenty six. So if that 2026, that would give us about four more years. I think that that is completely doable. I've heard both Mayor Bottoms and now Mayor Electicans focus on Atlanta housing, which are key partners. I think the opportunity for us to work with them and their properties. I think the public owned land that we have coming online, I think that lends us another opportunity because you talked about a key point. It is about market. And so where do we get these opportunities? So for the very first time, we have not a, a lot, but we have 
plenty of ways to make influence because we own. So pretty much you own the land. Owner is the king, the opportunity to see about what's going to happen there. And then I will mention, I think what's also exciting is that we have a demo lean program. I'm not sure you've see, heard of this one. And really it's taken the city several years. So I really thank the mayor for her leadership and the Department of Housing. What this will do is it, the Invest Atlanta will work with the city and the uh, land bank. The city will receive properties in lieu of foreclosure on those properties where the municipality or the city has a demo in place against the property okay. because of uh, uh, an, a nuisance or health or safety violation. So what we see is that we will be receiving more inventory. So the land bank will receive the single family homes. We're going to receive the multifamily properties. And then what we're going to do is take them and immediately put them out for RFP. So we will be able to impact us with as our own ownership right. that got, affordability i'll have house, to bring you back to, i'll have to bring you back to talk about that and understand i will bring you back to talk about that dr <laughs> eloisa klimanich is president and ceo of invest atlanta thank you so much for taking the time good conversation we're going to bring you back because we'll be continuing to cover this obviously in 2022 thank you so much you're welcome thank you very much and i'll take a mug too oh listen <laughs> you got it <laughs> Thank you. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. As always, I'm Rose Scott. You know, for more than a month now, children aged 5 to 11, they've been eligible for the Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. As of last week, it's estimated that maybe 5 million in this age group were at least vaccinated with one shot. Now, Dr. Andy Shane is a pediatric infectious disease expert over at Emory University School of Medicine, and she also works with the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. She's been a regular contributor to Closer Look. And when we recently spoke, I wanted Dr. Shane to talk about the conversations and the questions she was getting from parents and even the kids about the vaccine. Most of the questions actually have revolved, similar to those uh, from adults, have revolved around safety and uh, concerns about um, adverse effects and side effects. So far, very reassuringly, we haven't, uh, in a little over a month since the uh, vaccine has been authorized in five to 11-year-old children, we haven't uh, seen uh, any notable adverse effects. And actually, uh, many of the uh, uh, pain and fever and other tiredness that was seen in older adolescents and adults, uh, we have not thankfully seen in children. And most of us have been very happy and smiling and uh, not had any adverse effects, which has been very encouraging. What questions have the kids had for you other than, is this going to hurt, doctor? <laughs> uh, well, they always ask that. And, um, you know, I just also want to mention that this is also the flu season. And so flu vaccines are also being given. So kids are getting a two for one special. Um, and so, um, you know, many children also always have concerns about uh, about the needle and, and it hurting, but uh, with appropriate explanation and parents are our greatest advocates in calming the children, um, you know, most have been very accepting and saying that didn't even hurt. <laughs> Dr. Shane, I had a listener reach out ahead of this interview, and it's a parent who regularly sends in comments and questions, and she has a six-year-old. She said, you know, I'm fully vaccinated, I'm boosted. You know, the only concern I have is we talk about the adverse effects, but I'm concerned about long-term effects for my six-year-old son. And I'm sure you've heard that. And, and what have you t responded to with parents who've had that question, that same question? Yes, great question. And um, obviously, uh, you know, we have what we have, the information that we have. And uh, what we've certainly seen in adults is when the vaccine has been available for over a year now, um, or oh, close to a year now, um, we have not seen long-term consequences. What I am very concerned about, though, Rose, is a pediatrician taking care of a number of children of the long-term consequences of COVID infection. And we are seeing them, and they are significant, and we're just beginning to understand them. So these vaccines are safe from what we know. And while everything is a risk and a benefit, I can say unequivocally that the risk of having a natural infection in terms of long-term consequences far outweighs the theoretical risk of having a consequence from the vaccine. 
We know the importance, we're, we're told the importance of the booster, obviously. Uh, do you think that is something that will be needed for children? What is that conversation being talked about right now? So that's a great question, and I will. It also relates to your previous question about safety. And so once the vaccine is authorized, all of the children who were in those trials are still continuing to be monitored and followed. So uh, there is data that we are collecting from those children. Um, so it's not just we're finished. We, we're looking at these longer terms. And I don't know. We'll have to see with boosters in, in children. Thankfully, their immune systems are a little bit different than adults. And um, so the dose that's currently authorized for the Pfizer vaccine is a lower dose. So we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. And that is clearly being followed very, very carefully. And uh, uh, people are really paying attention to that. Doctor, what do you want our listeners to know? We obviously have always talked about those populations in terms of adults who be at risk who might have other other conditions where folks like you have said that's why the vaccine is so important. Is it the same for kids for this age group, 5 to 11? From what we know, yes. And children who have underlying medical conditions are probably less likely to mount an immune response the way a healthy child might. And so actually by having your child immunized, you also be protecting those who may not be able to be immunized completely or who may not have a good immune response. So it's part of a community commitment as well as an individual commitment. And Dr. Shane, I have another uh, question from a listener who says, so are you all still doing, are they still doing clinical trials for this age group? So there is a clinical trial that's going on for the Moderna vaccine. Um, and so that is uh, an alternative to the Pfizer vaccine. And then, as I mentioned, uh, there's ongoing monitoring of the children who are in the Pfizer vaccine. And what about for the ones even younger than five? What can you tell us yes, about that? Those- Yes, those trials are actively ongoing uh, for the six month to two year olds uh, and currently enrolling. Um, and so uh, we're hoping to get information and um, be able to have uh, more information in the early part of the new year because that's the, the final age group that is currently not eligible for vaccination. Dr. Shane, what also has just stood out for you in terms of not only just the messaging, and we've had this conversation before, but the messaging, the response, you know, I, don't, I won't get you involved in politics. I'll save that for folks like Governor Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. But uh, how do you assess how we are doing as a nation in getting folks, getting the message out, getting folks vaccinated, particularly the folks that you see the most, our little bitty ones, as we say? So I think that's a great question, Rose. And we've been doing the best that we can. But I think there's always opportunities to improve. And I think the best people that are advocates for vaccination are those who've been vaccinated. And uh, it's amazing. I've been so impressed with a number of children, adolescents, even younger children who have encouraged their classmates to get vaccinated, encouraged their friends, their siblings. So um, it's really a one-to-one campaign. And I do think I also want to say that it's important for people to get information and to make a decision and important to go to trusted sources uh, for information, uh, including the CDC and especially uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We have really been working to try to be a trusted source of information. And so um, ask questions, get your information, but get it from trusted sources. Speaking of trusted sources, which obviously you would be one, can you share a story? We don't have to mention the names of maybe you had parents who just weren't convinced to the safety of the vaccine. And then after a conversation, you were able to to give them enough information and they decided to go ahead and get their, their, their ch- child or children vaccinated. What was their conversation like? So I uh, have many of those conversations every day. And, you know, I think the one thing that is really clear about uh, people who have concerns about vaccines is that uh, you really have to sit down with them and understand the reason why. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And most of the time, it's somebody heard a story about somebody who had an adverse effect. And so really addressing that, providing people with information, understanding what their hesitancy is, um, and uh, really um, trying to explain to them that everything is a risk and a benefit and that the benefits of vaccination, especially for this virus, but for all vaccines, um, definitely outweigh the risk. And uh, there's a lot of unfortunate information about natural immunity offering better protection, and that is absolutely 
not clear, as is not true, and also uh, runs the risk of uh, everything that we've talked about. So it's just not worth the risk. So what do folks get wrong then about when we hear this? And I've heard this before, and I've had conversations with folks, and they but natural immunity, that's all, as a parent told me, I come from good genes, is what the parents said. And, you know, we, we're, we're good. That's what the parents said to me. Right. And I think what we don't know is there's a lot of things about this virus that we don't know. And while we have seen a number of otherwise very healthy, never been in the hospital, never had a cold, children who have acquired COVID have been severely ill and had months and months of hospitalization. So even though one has always been healthy and thinks that you have a good immune system, this virus is something that we have just not ever seen before. And so we can't predict, and that's the hard part about it. So, uh, and we know that vaccination provides good protection against severe disease. And certainly I think it's also important when you say that natural immunity is better, better than what, and how are you measuring that better uh, is also very important to understand. And we, we're just, there's a lot of information out there just learning and so but what we do know for sure is that vaccines protect against severe disease dr shane how are you doing during all of this we've been talking for a long time now it seems about all of this how are you holding up <laughs> i am uh i'm doing great thank you rose and uh, i have worked with an amazing supportive team um and i'm so fortunate and um i just i'm so happy actually a few minutes before i got a text message from somebody who said that the, all three of their sons were going to get vaccinated uh, today. Um, and that was someone with whom I've had long conversations. Um, so um, those those kind of stories, that's what keeps me going. Dr. Andy Shane is a pediatric infectious disease expert at Emory University School of Medicine, also with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And as note of disclaimer, we although she's an expert, we ask that you make sure you consult with your own primary care physician or pediatrician. Dr. Shane can continues to be a regular contributor to Closer Look and WABE News. We really appreciate it as always. Happy holidays and thank you. Thank you, Rose. My pleasure. Uh, Santa doesn't care about city hood. He just wants to know if y'all have cookies and a chimney. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You know, typically around this time, we look so we look forward to speaking with the mini Santas, Mrs. Claus, and their elves. And we know that due to the pandemic, the December scheduling of old St. Nick has greatly been impacted. And one of our regular jolly fellows is Santa D, also known as the real black Santa. Don't y'all send me an email because it won't get answered. And last year, he had to shift his traditional in-person visits to virtual visits due to the pandemic. But it did allow him to reach families around the globe. Well, Santa D is back on the program today with how he's navigating this holiday season and some other questions. Welcome, Santa D. Good to see you virtually. Good to see you, Ms. Rose. It's been a while and I'm loving it. You look great. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because pre-pandemic, just how busy would you normally be heading into December? Your December would just be packed, right? Uh, Pre-pandemic, I would be losing my mind right now. <laughs> uh, actually setting my visits, plus setting the other guys that work for me their visits. I'd be working my tail off right about yeah. now. Before we also talk a bit more about you personally, just I want to get your thoughts on how do you sum up all of this, this moment that we're we're still in from last year? What's your reflection about all this? Well, I tell you what, this pandemic has gotten everyone scared. I've got uh, two of the guys that used to work for me that have already retired because of it. Uh, they don't want to come back out to do Santa, uh, so they've retired. Um, and so many other Santas because, you know, we're we're rather large individuals, uh, not always the healthiest because we eat so many cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we've got uh, ongoing issues, you know, so we've we've. Uh, so many of the of the other guys have uh, either retired or scaled back on what they're doing because this pandemic is really, really taking a toll on us. Yeah. So some Santas have actually retired because of the pandemic. Yeah. Two of the guys that work for me uh, on a regular basis, they retired last season. Once the pandemic really hit, uh, their family told them that listen, you're not at the at the healthiest stage of your life. So we 
I want you to stay back till this thing is all gone. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing is to tell a little one you can't go up and give Santa a hug or, or sit on Santa's lap. I want to talk to you, Santa D, for a moment because you've had some challenges of your own health-wise, correct? Getting older, things happen. I've been in Georgia now for about 25 years, and the Georgia atmosphere or weather has changed how my body reacts. Mm-hmm. I've been going dealing with an persistent cough because of the, I guess, pollen, dirt, and things that happen, mm-hmm. uh, allergies for the last eight, maybe nine months, and we're still trying to figure out what it is. Mm. It's respiratory, though, is what you're saying? Uh, they think it's, it's, it's sinus, mm-hmm. uh, sinus issues. So they, they're, they're, I'm going to a pulmonologist. I'm going to my regular uh, PCP uh, and uh, ENTs. I'm doing everything, and no one has, hasn't figured out just quite yet what's going on. Santa, and you can only share what you want to. How often have you been tested for COVID? I get tested all the time. Actually, I was tested twice in the last two days, mm-hmm. <laughs> and both times negative. I've been tested. Santa has complete vaccination. I haven't taken the booster because I, I, I'm not sure if I need it as of yet, but I'm COVID-free. But what's strange is that right after I got my second dose of my vaccine, I, I tested and I tested positive. Hmm. Now, the strangest thing is that that cough that was so persistent with me, it disappeared during the time that I was I was uh, locked away. And as soon as I tested a negative, the cough came back. Mm. <laughs> My doctors are still trying to figure it out. You mentioned your, <laughs> your colleagues, your fellow Santas who have retired. And I know your family and their concern. I know you concerned about yourself as well. But did you, were there conversations that were like, maybe take this holiday season off? Did, were those conversations happening in your household? They were. And the biggest reason uh, for me and, and my my reason for trying to take another season is that I don't know exactly what it is. And I'd, I'd feel so hurt so bad if something that I had that I passed it on to some, a, a child mm-hmm. or, or that child's family, <laughs> excuse me with the, the virtual we did. I did a lot of virtual this year and I held off on doing virtual this, this season because again, being, excuse me, being on, on talking so much, the cough tends to come mm-hmm. in, and when 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 I have a coughing uh, fit, yeah. never know how long it'll last and how dramatic it'll be. <clears throat> how have you been dealing with this emotionally and mentally, Santa? Listen, Santa's a guy that we we love the hearty laugh. How are you handling all of this? I've been, and I'll say this: I've been in the red suit and in the chair for twenty years, mm-hmm. twenty plus years, and. For me not to be out there doing what I love, what I believe that the Lord has put me here to do, it's it's a little heart-wrenching. I have clients that are calling on a regular basis daily and having to respond with, sorry, but Santa is not doing any in-person visits this season, but look forward to seeing you next season. Hmm. That is, I mean, that hurts. That yeah. really hurts. When you think about the 20 years, the decades that you've been doing this, and then obviously this pandemic is new for everybody. Are you going to then maybe reevaluate if you permanently have to shift to the virtual or personal virtuals? It's not the same, we know. It's not the same as being in person, but your health comes first. I pray, and I know my father up above knows what he's doing. I pray that we don't have to do virtual as the new norm. I hope that we as Santas going forward, because again, with all the new strains that are coming out, all the new variants, that we somehow find the, the remedy to make sure that we can go back to being in person. Santa D, let me ask you this. Are you, do you have some, some Santa D's in training? Are you passing on the knowledge? You know, diversity is a big thing this year. I know Disney made headlines. They're pushed for more diversity among Santas and I think they're having Black Santas at their theme parks for a Christmas celebration. And uh, is that something that you think you'd want to get into? You know, Santa D Academy. That is the strangest thing. My eldest son, he's he's worn a beard for the last maybe five years, maybe six years. 
says, uh, Pop, do you have an extra suit? I think next year I want to start doing this. <laughs> That's great. Because he's looking in the mirror and he's seeing his gray, his beard turning gray. Uh, and he's like, I think I want to do this next year, Pop. Uh, and plus, there are a lot of, I, there are a lot, of, I did an event for, a virtual event for Old Navy. Because mm-hmm. uh, Old Navy ha- has a boot camp. And uh, I did a virtual event for them, uh, helping to develop their boot camp training. And I've had other Santas respond through that boot camp. Uh, I have a, a, a Spanish Santa, his name is Santa Maverick, out of D.C., mm-hmm. uh, that hopefully I'll be mentoring him and trying to get him there. So I think that will be a great thing. I think what has happened, especially with all the unrest with uh, racial tension that we've had in the country, mm-hmm. it's bringing a lot more uh, Santas out to the forefront. And I, I'm not just talking uh African-American or black Santa. We're talking Santa's of all colors and race, which is good. So I'm curious, in the Santa boot camp, and I know you can't give away too much, but what are you driving home to the Santas? Because if the Santa, potential Santa, raises his hand and says, you know, I want to be Santa, but I don't really dig kids. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly you're in the wrong class. He's actually doing the wrong job. He's (laughs) he's got to love kids, and he's got to have a love for people altogether. Uh, one of the biggest things that we 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 showed in the in the boot camp is uh, through through diversity, showing that you have love for everyone and being able to uh, talk to kids of all race, kids that sometimes feel that they're not sure if they're uh, what is the the the, ter- the correct terminology if they're boy or girls and you know you've got to because everyone has that you never know agenda. Uh, gender-wise. You want you, you want who. Santa's to be respectful of, of, exactly. of everyone and how folks identify. And that is obviously something new. Maybe that the Santa's we grew up with didn't have to. But look, you want everyone to feel like they can be themselves around Santa and all of that. So you're, 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 y'all are talking about those things in your boot camp. Oh, most definitely. I mean, and the, 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 the Old Navy boot camp uh, was on the 19th, and folks can join up on that anytime just by going to Old Navy site and looking for it. But that's one of the things that we're doing. We're showing diversity. Uh, you know, back in, in, in the days past, you, were you a good little boy this year? This year was, were you good this year? Uh, good. You never know what the family's uh, status is. Absolutely. We used to say, well, have you, did, you, did you always listen to mommy and daddy? Are you listening to your parents? So we got to change up what we do to make sure that we're covering all bases now and we're being uh, diverse. Now, what is the what is the one mistake that most new Santas make in that that the first year, the first two seasons that it never fails? The the new Santa or the new Mrs. (laughs) Claus are all excited, but then they always, you know, they're they're doing a little bit too much. What, What is that? Those couple of mistakes that they tend to make. I'm going to give you the biggest one, Miss Rose. Miss Rose, you've been a good girl this year. What would you like Santa to bring you for Christmas? A fire truck. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make sure you get that fire truck, Miss Rose. Now, <laughs> I can't give you that promise because yeah. I don't know what mommy and daddy's plans sure. are for you for this year. And that is one of the biggest things that Santas are doing. The new Santas, they make promises that they can't keep. And we need to make sure that it's well, we'll see what we can do this year. Well, I was going to say a Tesla, but I figured that y'all hadn't quite worked that out with Elon and the fe- folks. So, you know, I was, I, you know, and he, he he's a lovely guy, but, you know, we still he's still got to make sure he's making his money on the end. <laughs> Dear Santa, please bring me a Tesla. That is great advice. And then what questions do you often get most from the Santas in training? Uh, grooming, the beard grooming. Uh for some odd reason, everyone thinks I have a really good beard. Uh, it looks nice. And I, thank you very much. And I try to to tell them that I keep it all year round. I, I don't cut it down. I trim it. I keep it neat. Uh, but it's always about the products that you use and how you take care of it, making sure that you're doing the right thing to make sure the beard looks good and always being in character every day of the year if you're looking like Santa every day. Of the year. So you keep it soft, moisturized, or you lose using a little tea tree oil and, and shea butter? What, what's your product? Tell me your, your product regimen here. What, what you got going on? Well, I tell you what, Ms. Rose, I make my own uh, my own products. Really? Uh, I Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> I believe that, uh, one, I don't ever use soap on my beard or shampoo. Ah. Really? I no. I use a 
and I, I don't know if I can plug these guys. Uh, Go ahead. Dr. Bronner's. Oh, yeah, we, we love the Bronner fellas. Yeah, we, we love the Bronner I, I, family. The, yeah. I, I use that, their, 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 uh, uh, their soap uh, once a week, maybe twice. And I just, other than that, I co-wash it every day. It's like and, having and, lots. And most, ladies, most ladies know what co-wash means. Yes. I just put conditioner in and rinse it out afterwards. And I deep condition it. Uh, one of the things that I'm able to do that most guys aren't, I braid this thing. Well, Santa giving grooming tips. I love it. <laughs> so they can come on. I give. I'll tell them how to make the the beard oils. I and that's the other thing. You can't be scared of putting oils in the beard. You put the beard oils and you put the the beard balm so that there. And there are companies out there that make great products. Oh, that's and great. they just have to find one that works for them. As we wrap up, Santa D, what is your message to all the families this holiday season? Love. Love on everyone. And I always say that it's that time of year that even the meanest, nastiest person you know in the office, they're, little, they're just a little nicer during this time of year. Just keep loving on everyone. And maybe we won't have all the issues that we're having in the country, in the world, if we show a little more love to each other. Santa D, thank you so much for taking the time as always. So good to see you, even though it's virtually. Happy holidays to you. Take care of yourself. Happy holidays and God bless. (laughs) I was waiting on that. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Sam Whitehead is our senior producer. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are our producers as well. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. He doesn't have a sleigh, but he rides a bike. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m., as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.